Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. All right. Now, last week I, I shared a message called Find. No, two weeks ago I shared one called Find God in the Testimony. Last week, I I preached one that was called Explore God's Vastness in the Testimony. And one of the main parts of the story that I was talking about was Jesus multiplying the bread. There's five loaves of bread and two fish, I think, right? That he fed 5,000 households, all right? Men plus wives and kids. So 5,000 plus, however many the extra is. And he, he fed them all so much that they were filled and, and then there was 12 basketfuls left over, and that's just a powerful story, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I also shared with you how Roland and Heidi Baker have multiple testimonies of, of them running out of, room, of sorry, food or resources or whatever it might be, and they, they trusted the Lord in the same way because they believe that the testimony of Jesus is our inheritance. Amen. And so, and then they've seen that miracle show up multiple times. Well, I, I need you guys to hear a pretty awesome testimony right now. I'm going to have Ron Foxworth come up, and, and he wants to share a testimony with you that he told me just a couple of days ago um, of the same genre. I thought you guys might like to know that Jesus multiplies things, not just in Israel, not just in Mozambique, but right here in Hoosierville, all right? <laughs> Come here. Let's give Ron a hand for coming up. Thank you, Jess. I want you to hold on because I'm going to talk really fast. (laughs) Welcome, everybody out there on the live stream. Good morning, church. So a couple of years ago, or a number of years ago, Patty and I were asked to be part of a ministry team at a little church up in northern Indiana. This church had started a food pantry giveaway because God had told the pastor I want you to feed the community and the surrounding area. There are only two stipulations that I want. You're going to go ahead and buy the food, and you're not going to charge them for it. So they joined an organization called Angel Food Ministries. You may have heard it. A church can actually buy one box of food for $30, and then that's enough to feed a family for about a week and a half, I think. I don't know all the details. Uh, You'll have to forgive me if I don't know everything about that. So he started this process, and God told him to do this. He said, buy it, but you're not going to charge anybody. I want you to understand this is a congregation of about 25 or 30 people, okay? So this is a stretch. You're going to buy it, and you're going to give it away. So they put the word out. You have to send in an application. They fill out a little card to get this bag of food, and then they have to come in once a month, and they line up. Well, we were doing a prayer room there. So as the time went on, a couple of years later, every month we would get a call from him, and some months they would come up short money, and they didn't have enough money to buy these boxes. This is one I forgot to tell you about. So one one time, they were the night before, They had 220 families coming. They didn't have enough money to buy it. They had a check for $5,000 come in that night. 
it was amazing. So about three years into this, he called us and sent us a, a teaching about the five loaves and the two fishes and said, I need you guys to pray into this. Our church is praying into this. We only have enough money to buy for 90 families. We have 220 showing up. get through this so we said okay we'll do that so we were there that morning when they unloaded the trailer brought in all the boxes they set up on the tables and I want you to understand they have these green canvas bags you go down the line there's boxes you put one food item from each box into this bag after they filled up the first hundred okay I'm gonna say that again they went and paid for 90 bags after they filled up the first hundred we had to go back into the prayer room because everybody was lining up so and I cannot tell you right now I didn't see any boxes magically appear I didn't see anybody running out to their car and getting extra boxes out of the trailer all I know is after they went over a hundred bags and I knew they only bought food for 90 Come on, Jesus. So, and they weren't done. They were still filling bags. Patty and I go back to the prayer room. We saw all kinds of stuff happen. It was just nuts. So we went back into the room, and at the end of that process, he always gets everybody together and goes over all the statistics and details. Remember, I said, you have to apply for this. They had a list of 220 names on there representing 220 families. We went back in there, he shows us this stack of cards. 220 families showed up and every one of them got a bag. I want you to understand, they did not shortchange any of those bags. I don't know how that happened. I have no idea. All I know is I saw a stack, 220 families, it it gets even better. There was a remnant left over. There were five bags left over. We got one. I'm serious. We got one. So I'm going to close with this. Man, I made it. I want to close with this is that, you know, sometimes in the Bible, I want to tell you that you read these stories and think about how amazing would that be to actually witness something like that? you know, miracles, and sometimes I think in our heads, we go, I don't know if that's even possible. How how could I even see something like that? So we are so honored and privileged that we were able to actually witness that. And God gave me this statement for all of you, for all of us this morning. So for that little church, and even for you, As far as the world is concerned, the odds were not in their favor. But he had the favor of God. Yes. Come on. That's awesome. Powerful testimony. God's doing it, guys. He's doing it. Come on. He's doing it. Woo! It's amazing. I I want me some more of that. Come on. I just, I just don't think that we need to just passively 
you know, think about these stories. Like, we need to grab a hold of that stuff and know that God's doing it. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. The vastness of God. The vastness of God is available to us. Thanks for sharing that, Ron. That was awesome. Let's give Ron a hand for sharing that with us, too. It's amazing. So, so Jesus fed the 5,000. Um, by the way, my, my message today is called Lift Your Eyes to Heaven. Right, he 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 received five loaves and two fish, and and then in, in Mark six forty one it says he looked up to heaven, looked up to heaven. So, in other words, he took his eyes off of the problem, and he looked to where he knew the solution was. He saw the need. He, he, he could count the fish and the loaves, and he counted the people. And it didn't match. But he didn't keep his focus on the problem. He lifted his eyes to heaven so he could look where the solution is. Amen? And he blessed it, and he broke the loaves. And then we know the story. But he lifted his eyes to heaven. And, and I think that's where we miss it often, is that we... Stay fixated on the problem and trying to figure out how to solve it. And we need to understand that the, the vastness of God is far surpassing our abilities to figure this thing out. And God doesn't want to, uh, to leave us hanging and, and to, to leave us on our own with, with the breakthroughs that we need. Amen? He, he looked to the solution not the problem, and Jesus taught us very well that he only did what he saw his father doing. So when he's looking to heaven, he's looking to see his father bringing a miracle to the people. Amen? What we're looking at really determines how, what kind of lifestyle we're going to live. If, if, we're, if we're looking at the conditions and we're fixated on the conditions, the conditions are going to impact how we're living. If we learn how to fix our eyes on Jesus and to behold the vastness of God and his readiness and his willingness, his availability, we're going to see a whole other type of a life happening. We're going to see the, the miraculous realm of heaven flowing into the earth in our midst. Amen? I believe it. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, If you were then raised with Christ, how many of you guys have been raised with Christ? Come on. Seek those things which are above. Lift your eyes to heaven. Seek those things that are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. How many of you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ? Come on. More than you know. All right? Set your mind on things above, not the things of this earth. This is a directive. This is an invitation to a lifestyle of us not becoming fixated on the problems, but, but lifting our eyes above the problems into the, the, the vastness of God, the, the realm of heaven, the infinite resource of God and all he can do. Amen? 
way beyond what, what we can imagine with our mind. But it's available. I was, I was thinking about some times in somewhat recent history with my little girl, Livy, who I love so much. Um, w- parents have to train our kids how to, how to do things and how to believe and everything, right? And, and there were some times uh, several months back that I would, it, it was almost bedtime, I would hear her screaming, and I'd have to go in there to find out what's going on. And it was almost like the end of the world because she couldn't get her pajama top pulled in or right side out because the sleeves were in inside out. She could not get that thing on. And she would try as hard as she could to no avail. And, and she, was, she just was not having a successful experience. And uh, she, she just didn't, because she was believing that her circumstance defined reality, she didn't think that she could get that shirt on. It's impossible. Can't be done. And I, I had to take a moment and try to calm her down. Livy, Livy, we don't need to scream, okay? Screaming doesn't solve anything here. Calm down. And, and, and then I, I tried to, I would always encourage her, I still do this, look me in the eyes. Calm down. Look me in the eyes. Lift up your chin and look at me in the eyes. And, and then I would help her. I'd say, Livy, screaming doesn't fix it, but I can help you. I can help you. And, and then, then I'd see this calm come over her. And she'd be like, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I took the moment to try to explain to her how to pull the sleeves through and, th- and then how to put that thing on and, and it actually works. And she did it and she instantly shifted from anxiety to goofy joy. It was amazing. The, the, her atmosphere shifted. So, so as she released the, the anxiety and the fear, the, the I can't do this, it cannot be done, she, she released the problem she looked me in the eyes, and she heard my calming voice, and she heard that I can instruct her through this, and then and she adjusted, and she started following my guidance, and, and success happened, and she got the shirt on, and she had peace, and that was the, mo- the most important part, right? Not the shirt, but the peace, Amen. So she, she's learning how to, how to relax, how to not panic, and how to ask for help. Amen? And, and uh, I don't know about you, but that story kind of reminds me of me sometimes. <laughs> kind of reminds me of me. And, and sometimes when I, when I freak out and I start getting anxiety and, and I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to work something through or I feel like things are about to fall apart and the Lord has to tell me, Jesse, calm down. Don't forget, I'm here. Lift your eyes. He'll he'll pull my chin up. Look me in the eyes. We can do this. With God, there's always a solution. Amen? Let me say that again. With God, there's always a solution. Amen? But we have to learn how to let go of the fear. We have to release the problem 
I might not solve this thing the way I was trying to, no matter how hard I try, but I'm going to release the problem. I'm going to look to look up, lift my eyes to heaven, look to the eyes of the Lord. Explore God's vastness. God, you're beyond this thing that I'm struggling with right now. You're bigger than this current issue at hand. Amen? Then when we align our beliefs, pulling out of the anxiety, align my beliefs with him, man, that's powerful. You start trusting and, and, and leaning into him. I trust you, Lord, now. I, I, I couldn't trust you when I was fixated on the problem. And I lift my eyes off the problem and look to the solution. Now, now I can trust you, Lord. Amen? And then we follow his lead. And, and God always leads us to the solution. <clears throat> Our biggest problem is when we focus on the problem. Okay? I, I, I know even when we, when we try to minister healing to people, we can get so fixated, fixated on the disease or whatever the thing is that we want to see healed, and, and we, we focus on it, and then we, we strive our belief to get that thing healed, and I've just found that the most powerful way to minister healing is to lift your eyes off the problem and to behold the solution, which is Jesus Christ. I can't heal that thing, but he can. The disciples couldn't feed the 5,000, but Jesus lifted his eyes off the problem, looked into heaven, and then he released the blessing of heaven to the natural substance and made it supernatural because he was grabbing a hold of the vastness of the kingdom of heaven and blessing, releasing that onto the stuff that he was dealing with. Made it miraculous. Amen? You're not going to be the miracle maker, but you can engage with the miracle maker and be one with him. Amen? So when we focus on the problem, that's a problem. We take matters into our own hands. That's part of the problem. And, 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 the, and then it leads to becoming self-absorbed with the problem. And being self-absorbed is a problem. <laughs> Amen? We need to lift our eyes to heaven. And look to you, Lord. We need to look to the solution and not the problem. I'm gonna, I want to take you guys through the story of Job. And, and this is the first time I think I've ever spoke on Job. At least, at least the story of Job. And if you have Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there with me. Job chapter 1. Um, <clears throat> Lord, help me perform a miracle in getting this thing done in a good amount of time. Job, I, I've learned that Job was actually set in the same time period as the patriarchs. So somewhere around the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, somewhere in that time frame, it was definitely before Moses, um, that, this is when it happened. And uh, so um, <clears throat> Job did not have the books of the Bible, not even the Pentateuch, to learn truth from, okay? He kind of just had his own belief systems and his, in, and his own relationship with God. 
And so he didn't have books or teachings to help his theology. And let me just tell you, his theology was actually pretty horrible. <laughs> just not going to lie about that. He had some pretty bad theology. Some of it was good. And, and a lot of people actually take the book of Job and create theologies for themselves or for Christianity and, and create philosophies from Job to validate misery and martyrdom mentalities. And I, I want to tell you that we don't, we don't want to make light of hard times. I've had plenty myself and still do, all right? But, but we just we don't want to make theologies about them, about hard times and suffering. And, and we don't want to encourage right beliefs, or we do want to encourage right beliefs that won't waver despite the good or the bad, okay? And I, I want to give you a quick tip on the book of Job real quick. Be careful um, when, you're, when you study or read the book of making theology about individual statements or verses in the book because there's a lot of false beliefs in there, all right? Now, that's not me saying that, that, there's, that the book of Job is not true scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you've got to read the book as a whole and, and to see it kind of more as a macro perspective because if you inspect it verse by verse micro, you're actually going to hear a, a lot of horrible theology from people who didn't know what they were talking about. It's, it's kind of like the, the journals and the processes of people thinking through and verbalizing what their belief systems were. And so if you just, gra if you just read a verse in there and you're like, whoa, that, that sounds powerful, good or bad, and there's a lot of good and bad in there, then you, you might create some pretty messed up belief systems. But if you look at the big picture, you're going to see... Big picture, you're going to see at the beginning is, is God and Satan, and they're talking about God's righteous man, Job. And then he gets cursed, and horrible things happen, calamity comes. And then you see most of the books is him having pretty ridiculous dialogues between him and his best friends that were not very encouraging most of the time. And then it gets to the point where God shows up and rebukes Job, all right? So the point is, like, don't dissect it and just extract a bunch of individual truths because it's not a bunch of individual truth. Does that make sense to you? I hope somebody doesn't think I'm a false teacher because I just said that there's something not true in that book. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read Job 1, 1 through 3. Jesus, help me. I think I'm already set up to, <laughs> to not make it on time here. All right, Lord. We're doing a miracle right now. Job, you guys are going to have to follow with me. I'm going to blitz. Job 1, 1 through 3. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were, were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So this man, Job, was wealthy. He was, no, he was renowned in his region. People, everybody knew him. He was like the greatest man around. And God uh, declares that he's a righteous man, all right? 
Um, Job is fairly comparable to Abraham in a lot of ways because they're both men that God bragged about as my righteous one. All right. And, and when I was reading this, probably about a year or so ago, the Lord is just kind of showing me some comparisons between Job and Abraham because they're both men of God. And, and they're, so they're both righteous men of God. They're both wealthy and blessed. And they're both great in the region. All right. I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. By the way, the Hebrew word for Satan, I, I think it's shatan maybe, but it actually means the adversary. Okay, it means the adversary. Satan came. All right, and, and so the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, I just want to remind you guys that Satan, previous to this, at one time in ancient history, was called Lucifer, and he was one of God's greatest um, cherubim angels. I think it was a cherubim. Did I say the right one? Anyway, he was one of the greatest angels of all of heaven. He's one of the most beautiful. But when he rebelled in his heart, God was not going to have it. He cast him down to the earth. He came down like lightning. He was humbled and put under God's feet. All right? He didn't, he didn't get to have a throne in a great place in heaven anymore. And God has spent ever since that moment humbling Satan and keeping him crushed under his feet. So when Satan comes before God, God says, where do you come from? You know what God's really saying? I know you didn't come from this place you used to be. You came from somewhere that you didn't like going, didn't you? And he's saying, he's saying, yep, I had to go to and fro from the earth. And Satan's, that, that's, put, that's him putting Satan in his place. Remember this place that you used to be and look where you're at now. You're just crawling around back and forth on that lowly place. All right. He's, he's reminding Satan where he fell from and where he is now. All right. And so then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and the possessions have increased in the land. Before I continue, I need you guys to understand that what he just said about God's covering on Job shows us God's covering on the, on the righteous, all right? His protection, he's a, he shields us. You guys have no idea. If you're walking rightly with God, you have no idea the things he's protecting you from outside of the realm that you're, that's your safe zone, all right? You just need to know that. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord's like, challenge on. The Lord said to Satan, by the way, I want you guys to know that if God ever lets the devil do anything, it's because if the person can endure the testings, that Satan will end up being crushed. All right? If we can endure the sufferings and the and the trials that come to our life, we endure them in Christ. 
in the end, on the other side, we come out stronger and wiser, according to James chapter 1. But on the other side, we come out better, and Satan's head gets crushed by what he's trying to bring to us. So it's actually a trap on the other side. God knew this. Job had no clue. All right? Behold all that he has in your power. Only do not lay your hand. So God said you can have at it because he's going to stay righteous. Just don't, just don't touch him. All right? And so the story goes on. He loses all his, his livestock, all his farms. Even his children get killed. It's crazy. It's, a, it's a, actually a very horrible calamity story. But, but God always said that Job stayed righteous, okay? That's pretty amazing on its own. And so most of the chapters, are, as I said, are, are his friends and him processing and what they believe about the situation. There's a lot of garbage, really, that's said. Um, Job has a few really amazing nut, gold nuggets, and, and wrapped around it is a lot of not great stuff, all right? And so um, the, one of the things that – what I'm getting ready to say, I, I'm not going to tell you that you have to adopt this as your new theology – I, I believe this strongly, and I believe that it's consistent with the Word of God. But um, I've heard this taught before, but actually by Steve Backlund. Um, why, why would Satan have access to a man of God to curse him and all these things? And, I mean, the, you know, chapter 1, it sounds like God's allowing it, but it kind of leaves in question, like, why, why should there be access point for him to even do this thing? And... I want to. I just want to read a few things to you guys that uh, could give some clues to why Satan probably had some unnecessary. I'm saying unnecessary access to Job. All right. Now I want you to remember that God did not plan for this for Job, and He did not cause it. All right. We got to know that God didn't plan it. He didn't cause it. He did allow it. What if there are actually a few loopholes that gave access for this to happen? And I'm going to read you a few of those things that I think might be, might be loopholes. Job 3.25, Job said, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. How many of you guys know that fear, unchecked, can actually become an access point for the very thing that you fear to have access to you. Did you guys know that? And uh, fear is not necessarily a sin when it pre presents itself to us, but if we partner with fear, if we embrace the fear, we've entered into sin. All right? Because fear is actually faith in the wrong kingdom. Fear attracts the very thing that we fear. And this happens. I've seen it happen in my own life. And, and um, you guys have probably seen this, or at least you know it, that dogs can smell fear in a person. And if it's a mean dog, that fear that he smells is actually a magnet to bring his anger to you, and you better look out. All right. And that's how Satan is. And he's he's like a he's like a lion 
look, going to and fro looking for someone to devour. And he can't devour just anybody because we're covered on the blood of Jesus. But when we get outside of the covering, outside of being anchored to the truth of Christ, we start getting, it's not God who pulls away from us. It's us who gets outside that. We become an easy target. All right? And, and so here's Job who, who actually is saying, I feared this thing and it happened to me. The thing I dreaded came to me. So, so what if fear actually was an access point for Satan to come and bring the things that he was afraid of? All right, I want to flip over to, over to Job 9. It's more of Job verbalizing his belief systems. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. He's talking to his buddy who's, who's trying to convince him of some things. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? Let's just stop right there. Really? He believes that he can't be righteous in God's sight? There's a, there's a bad belief. Okay? If one wished to contend with him, he could, not, he, w- he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. All right? So there's another bad belief. He's a person who would like to argue with God. Okay? But, but, but worse than that, he's a person who believes that, that God would not respond to him. Okay? God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? So why is Job trying to figure out how he can harden himself to God and, and actually benefit from that? Something's not right with Job, guys, all right? He, he never turned his back on God. He was always righteous, but he did not have good belief systems. You guys doing okay? Let's, let's go, same chapter, go down to verse 14. Through 21, still Job talking. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. You hear that? He doesn't believe that God would listen to him. That's a belief system. For he crushes me with a tempest. Everybody say, he crushes me. That's what he believed God would do to him. He crushes me with a tempest. Everybody say, with a tempest. Do you guys know what a tempest is? It's a sea storm. It's a powerful storm. And the Hebrew is say ara, say ara for tempest. No, you don't, I wasn't telling you to say ara. The word is se'ara. <laughs> Say is part of the word. Se'ara. All right? <laughs> you guys are awesome. Man, this is a good crowd. All right? So, so Job is saying he crushes me with a tempest, and he multiplies my wounds without cause. This is what he believes, guys. All right? 
He will not allow me to catch my breath, but he fills me with bitterness. So he thinks God fills him with bitterness. Okay. You guys, you guys tracking with me that Job probably didn't have the best belief systems? <laughs> it is a matter of strength. Indeed, he is strong. And if of justice, who will appoint my day in court? Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. So he, even, even if, he doesn't even believe he's righteous, but if he thought maybe he would be, he would still condemn himself. The righteous cannot be condemned, okay? Though I were blameless, it would prove, it would prove me perverse. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. He said, I do not know myself. Do you guys have any idea how important it is to know who you are? Okay. And he said, I despise myself. So he had no self-love. So even though he was a righteous man who would never sin, his heart and his beliefs were not good. You guys follow me here? So some of Job's belief systems are revealed in this. He didn't believe that he could be righteous in God's sight. All right? Even though God already saw him as a righteous man, he didn't believe he could be righteous. How many in this room don't know your righteousness that God already sees on you? He didn't believe that God would listen to him. What a, what a father would that be? He believed that God was the source of his problems. He feared that God would crush him in the tempest and cause wounds. Identity issues. He had some identity issues. He didn't understand who he was. He didn't see himself the way that God sees him. That's a problem, right? He didn't understand the favor that his righteousness had with God. He despised himself. He was self-absorbed with self-pity. He was focused on his problems and not the solutions. You guys doing all right? There are some differences between Job and Abraham. Abraham's one of my Bible heroes. They were both righteous, but Job was righteous by deed. Abraham was righteous by faith. Okay? Job knew God as God's servant. Abraham knew God as God's friend. Okay? Because they had completely different outcomes. Job's life was cursed and it was falling apart in shambles, but Abraham's life was blessed and exceedingly blessed. All right? I'm, I'm, that's the reason why I'm doing the differences here. Why would, why would Abraham be positioned for blessing and Job positioned for calamity? Well, afflictions nearly crushed Job because he carried it on his own strength. You guys okay? Abraham, when he had problems, he leaned into God to help him. The difference between 
works and grace. You look at Job, you look at Abraham. Works, grace. And Job didn't know God or himself rightly. And I want to tell you guys that the way that he believed probably was, was, the, was the leading factor in, in what happened in his life. All right? What if the way we view God and ourselves, talking about our identity, who you are and whose you are, for us to know who we are in Christ. What if the way we view God and ourselves directly impacts which kingdom has influence on our lives? And I'm going to say that one more time. What if the way we view God and ourselves directly impacts which kingdom has influence on our lives? It does. It does. Romans 12, 2, our belief systems and what we're focused on makes the biggest difference in our lives. All right, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable perfect will of God. Steve Backlund often says that your experiences are catching up to your belief systems. Your experiences are catching up to your belief systems. I think that something like that probably is going on with Mr. Joby. Okay? In Job 31, he says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my mark. Oh, that Almighty would answer me. He wanted to get God to listen to him and have God answer him with all the questions that he has for God, all right? And, and I want to remind you that Job believed that God was going to crush him in the tempest. Okay? That's his view of God. But let's skip up to Job 38. Because this is where it really starts getting good. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job. <laughs> he wanted God to answer him, didn't he? The Lord answered Job. Out of the whirlwind, the Hebrew for whirlwind is Seara. It's the tempest. Because he said that God would show up. He would, he would come speak to me from the tempest and he would crush me. And here God is showing up to him in the tempest, the thing that he was afraid of God in. He came to reveal himself to Job in the very thing that he did not want to see God in. All right? Job thought that he was going to crush him from the tempest. But God shows up in the tempest. And he said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? See, God is saying, who are you? What is this garbage that you're speaking? You're, you're speaking words of false belief systems. You're declaring things that are, that are lacking knowledge of truth. What if the declarations are actually creating atmospheres and environments in our lives that attract kingdoms to us? 
What, what if Job actually invited all that stuff into his life without even knowing it? He says, by words without knowledge. He, he darkens counsel. Wow, darkens counsel. It's like a, it, it, it gets veiled. The, the counsel, the wisdom, the understanding gets veiled by speaking words without knowledge, speaking things that are poor belief systems. It actually clouds the, the understanding. Wow. Now prepare yourself like a man. <laughs> Pull yourself up by the bootstraps, boy. We're going for a ride. Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you answer me. Whoa. Job, all this time, he's, he's, he's complaining. He's declaring horrible beliefs about himself, about God. And he's like, God will never listen to me, but let him come to me. And, and then I'm going to ask him questions. He needs to answer me. And here God shows up in the very thing that he was afraid to see him in. And God says, you pull yourself up, boy. I'm going to ask you some questions and you answer me. <laughs> Turning the tables, putting him in his place, humbling him. You guys hear me? Yeah. I want to talk about that tempest because God revealed himself in the very place of his fear. Why would God do that? Because Job is a very fearful man, and fear is the very problem that's causing an ecosystem of horrible negativity in his life. If he, can, he needed to address the fear, so he showed up in the very way that he was afraid to see God. But let me ask you a question. Did God crush him? No, he did not. He, God knew that the fear was the doorway to the curses, and he wanted to crush, not, not Job, crush the fear. Amen? He didn't crush him, but rather he drew him into encounter with himself, to an encounter with his goodness, to reveal the vastness of God to him. All right? He rebuked his belief systems problem with speaking without knowing the truth, false declarations, looking at problems instead of the solutions. God wanted to ask, sorry, Job wanted to ask God questions. God answered him, but God reversed this, put him in his place. God had been listening to Job the whole time. This was probably weeks later. God was listening to Job the whole time, and, and he responded in his time, not in Job's demand. Okay? I want, you, I want you guys to know God's listening to you. He's listening to you. He hears your prayers. He hears your declarations. And he also hears yours and my garbage beliefs that we say out loud. He hears it. And he wants to... He wants to Hold a mirror up in our faces. God never answered Job's questions, by the way. He had all these questions. God never answered one of his questions, but rather, if you guys can give me just a few more minutes, he, 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 rather he revealed 
He didn't reveal to Job the things that Job wanted to know. He didn't even reveal to Job anything about his calamity. He didn't even tell Job that it was Satan that did it all. But what he did do was he took Job on an encounter journey, and he started revealing to him the mysteries of the universe. Okay? The vastness of God. He lifted him out of his own issues to pull him out of his little limited life and revealed to him the kingdom of heaven. And you read the next few chapters, and it starts exploring how God created the different parts of the earth from the Leviathan, which we don't even know for sure what that is, to uh, he talks about the pathways of raindrops. Who talks like that? Or the storehouses of where snow is held before it comes down. Who thinks about storehouses of snow? Or how the birds think when they're doing their thing. He, he starts revealing to him about creation and about the, the different constellations. He's taking him outside of his little world so he can reveal to him there's a vast kingdom that's way beyond anything you've ever imagined. And, God, and I don't want to belittle Job's problems. They were, they were great and horrible. But God had so much greater things that he wanted to reveal to him that would far surpass all the stuff if he would just pull himself out of this and, and lift his eyes to heaven. Do you guys hear my heart? Mm. He, was, he was inviting him to reveal to him his, the intimacy of God and his creation, the kingdom of heaven, to reveal eternity to him, things that are way bigger than yours and my current struggle with God. And the Lord, there's something in God's heart. He, he loves us and he, he cares about the issues that we're in, all right? He cares about them. But when we let those things consume us, they're just like what Jesus talked about when the farmer spreads seed in the different types of soil. And, and some of the soil landed amongst the thorns. And he said that it grows, but after it grows, the thorns wrap themselves around it and it chokes it to death. And, and he said that those thorns represent the cares and the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. And when we get consumed by the things of our own little lives, we're missing out on something that's way more vast that God wants to bring us into. Amen? Job learned that there were greater questions he should have been asking. And, and we're going to go to the last chapter here so I can tie a bow on this thing. 42. And read verses 1 through 5. I know that you can do everything. This is Job actually answering the Lord after God spent chapters of revealing the mysteries of the universe to him. Job answered the Lord. Because <laughs> God said he was going to. <laughs> he said, I know you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore... I have uttered what I did not understand. So he's starting to own up to his horrible negative belief systems. He's owning it. 
Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. He had an encounter. God revealed truth to him. He repented of his faulty belief systems. He shifted into the unity of God's truth. And then the story goes on, and the Lord blessed him. He restored everything to him. He blessed him with double of what he lost. But the, the restoration and the, the abundance and the blessing came to him because he realigned himself with who God really is and shifted in himself with who he is in God's eyes. Amen? And so the change of heart is what made the difference. The, the reason I wanted to share this story with you guys is because I, I think that it's really easy for us to get consumed by the things that, that weigh us down or, the, or, or just the busy things of life or whatever the things are that, uh, that, that distract our attention. And God, it's not that those things are not important. I mean, he blessed Job double like he cared. He lavished him, and he wants to lavish us. But, but Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. You're going to get taken care of, but not by, not by clutching it, not by becoming absorbed by it, not by making that your entire focus. Shift your focus. Lift your eyes up to heaven. Take your eyes off the problem. Look to heaven, because when... Just like with Livy, when we're, we get anxious, we get frazzed, we try to do it ourselves, and, and we have a really hard time making a success, but she'd, look her, she'd lift her eyes to me, and peace would come on her. She realized there's, there's help. There's help bigger than herself that can guide her into the freedom that she needed, the advancement, but she didn't just learn a skill. She learned how to compose her heart. And composing the heart leads us to success, right? Jesus, he, he didn't stay fixated on, on the problem, 5,000 plus people who are hungry. He lifted it and he looked to heaven. Why did he look to heaven? He lifted his eyes off the problem so he could behold the solution. Grabbing a hold of the vastness of God. It, it blows me away, like, if you read those ch last chapters of Job and you see all the things that God was revealing to Job, he was inviting him into the vastness. Last week we were talking about testimonies and that we need to look past the testimony is, oh, well, this is who God is. This is what he does. Yes, it is. But, but there's more. Take a peek in there. It's like a porthole just to view into the bigger because this was awesome, but let me see who God really is. Whoa, look. Look how big he is. Wow. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all I could ask or imagine. 
according to the power that's at work within me. Come on. God's bigger. Whatever the things are that weigh you down, he's bigger than them. And he cares about you in the situation. But when we engage with the vastness of his kingdom, he just takes care of those things. They no longer become the, the priority focus. We, we shift the priority focus where it belongs. He takes care of that stuff because he doesn't want those things holding us back from going all the way with what he has assigned for us on this earth. Amen? Amen? He called Peter to become a fisher of men because he wanted to do something way beyond just, just getting a, a weekly salary for his family. And Jesus filled the boat, overfilling with the thing that he physically needed that was a burden to him. But he did it and while Peter was shifting his focus. It's like, if you follow me, if you, if you look at and behold God and you go where I'm going, I'll take care of the, those little things too. Amen.